Good morning, Times Square Church. I am so excited. We're live here, right here on Broadway in New York City. Not only are we live, but we're here with our leadership from the church. Our elders are here today and their spouses. What a special day this is today. And at the very end of this service, don't turn off the webcast. Um, Each week, starting this week, you are going to be blessed by the Times Square Church Choir and Greg Thomas. Now, we can't have the whole choir, but we can have a number of the singers. And each week, you're going to have a chance um, during our services to hear from the Times Square Church Choir. I believe that God wants to speak to us today. And I I want you to pray with me as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, may the Holy Spirit in these next few moments guide us. May we hear that voice of the Holy Spirit. Not not me, not simply a church, but we would hear from you. That God, wherever people are watching, from New York City, around the country, or around the world, I thank you that you are a God that can go into homes through a, through a mobile device, through an iPad or a television set, and you can begin to change lives. Change lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to get ready to write a number of things down. The Bible says in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. In fact, one version, the message, says it like this. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. Listen to this last challenge. You choose is what the message says. I want to tell you a story for the next few moments about life words and how listening or a recipient of a mother's life words literally changed your son's life. It meant a lot to me because it started uh, becoming something in Detroit that every Detroiter, when I was there for 30 years in ministry, that he became a big deal there. His name was Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison and Henry Ford, the founder uh, of, 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 the, of the car, the automobile, began to work together. In fact, as Thomas Edison was doing his with his lab in uh, East Orange, West Orange, New Jersey, Tom, uh, Henry Ford brought the lab over to Detroit. And that's where I began to hear this story. Thomas Edison told the story how he became such an incredible inventor. It was from life words, and he credits his mother to it. It's a powerful illustration on what Proverbs 18.21 says. When Thomas was young, he returned home from school one day with a note in his hand, and his mother noticed that piece of paper. In fact, the note said she was the only one who was supposed to read that note. When she did, she grew tearful. The boy asked her what the note said. Let me read to you what his mother said to him. His mother said to him, this is what the note says, Thomas. Your son is a genius. This school is too small for him and doesn't have enough of good teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. From then on, Edison's mom moved him from school and he became self-taught. She allowed him to curiously pursue and become interested in anything around him. And that's where he began to hear those life words, the challenge of his mother, the freedom that she gave him. Thomas Edison became who he was today. But here's what's amazing. Years later, after Thomas's mom died, Edison was rummaging through her belongings after her death and came across that very note from the teacher. Thomas pulled it out, unfolded it, and this is what the note actually read. Your son is mentally ill. We won't let him come to school anymore. We don't have the teachers to handle him, and you're going to have to teach him yourself. 
My goodness. Edison wept for hours and since that time gave his mother credit for cultivating his genius as an inventor. Think of this for just a moment, those that are listening. Can you imagine if Thomas would have heard his teacher's words first and not the life words of his very mother? Thomas Edison's mom spoke Proverbs 18.21, life into him and gave us, in a sense, the greatest inventor in history. Because of life words, we get a light bulb. Most of the equipment here all originated from that man's mind. A light bulb, a phonograph, a camera, motion picture cameras, the telephone, generators, microphones, batteries, cement, and even a host of other things because a mom spoke life words. I've been in New York City and at Times Square Church now for over 13 months. And I have to tell you, things have been changing so fast with all that we've been facing here, from a pandemic, a volatile election, social injustices, a number of things that have been happening around the country and around the world. And it seems that whatever you do, someone has an opinion, a complaint, or a better way to do it. I get it. This is, this is unprecedented times. I'll hear everything from we're not opening fast enough or who is that singing? Who is that preaching? Are you doing services on Sunday or is this a pre-record? Well, today it's live. You need to address issues and speak to what's happening current event. And with all of those words, none of that bothers me. None of it, none of it I take as death words because of what I've learned today that I want to take you to a passage of scripture, how I think we can begin to even take what seems to come as death and see God begin to protect us from even going into a tailspin from the wrong words. And I want, I want to share with you what I've learned from Psalm 38 in just a few moments. Some people think that for some reason you can post any complaint that you want to post and everything's okay. But I, I have to tell you from my standpoint, I'm not allowed to respond that way in fashion to, the, to, the, to those kinds of words. In fact, it was Mother Teresa who said these words, words which do not give the light of Christ increase the darkness. And some of you are going, wow, that's deep. Well, someone else said it like this about complaining. They said, complaining is like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but not your own. That's pretty good. And that's why today, many of us, many of you have listened and didn't have a Thomas Edison, a Mrs. Edison in our lives who have known and experienced, and we have known and experienced more death words than maybe even life words. Everyone here, everyone listening has known a tongue that has brought destruction or been personally attacked by words. When life words comes, it's astounding. Listen to me, what a grandson, a granddaughter, what a niece or a nephew can do when life is spoken from these, from these tools, a tongue that God has given to us and words of death come. It also is astounding how crippling they can become and and how inhibiting they can become. How do we respond to those words so it doesn't stop what God has put inside of us, the gift that's there? For the next few moments, I want to be careful in saying this, but I want to be a little bit prophetic what I see taking place, but also practical today. And this is very important what I'm about to say. I want you to listen carefully. Jesus wept twice that we have in the scriptures. He wept for friends and he wept for a city. For those that, that may not be familiar with the scripture, John eleven thirty five, 35, 
was the first time that we read that Jesus wept for his friends at a gravesite. But it's the second one that I want to highlight, and that's in Luke chapter 19. Listen to these words. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, here comes the second time we see the tears of Jesus. He wept over it and said, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but it's now hidden from your eyes. He's speaking about himself and coming, and then he adds to it, verse 43, but there are days also coming upon you when your enemies will build up an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. As a leader, I think every church leader, we have a responsibility to have those two weepings in our life. We have to weep twice. Two times as we see those tears of Jesus, it's for a friend, that's Lazarus, but it's also for a city, that's Jerusalem. The first time tears are shed, it's for one. But the second time tears are shed, it's for the many. See, the first time with Lazarus, it was not only for the death of a friend, but also the grief that, the, the, his, that Martha and Mary are going through. You know the story, it's in John chapter 11, when they, the, the, Martha and Mary called for Jesus to come and said, your friend is sick. And by the time he got there, Lazarus was dead. Though the story ends with a resurrection, it was those tears that we read about in John eleven thirty five, 35. But that weeping for the many in Jerusalem is the one that caught my attention as I began to pray for you and for us and for what God is doing around our city, around the country, and around the world. It was a Sunday morning there in Luke chapter 19 that the city was packed for Passover. Every house was full. The streets were packed with literally tens of thousands. And from the crest of the Olivet Mountain, Jesus saw that crowded city. And the first time he has tears, it's for death. The second time, it's tears for life. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? And this is the part I don't want you to miss. It was tears for life that was happening void of Jesus and an impending enemy that is to come. Let me say that again. It was tears for life that was happening right in front of him. The, 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 all the people come together, children playing in the marketplace, women are singing, business is booming, music is heard throughout the city with Passover right in the, in, in the crosshairs. Friends are meeting who have not seen each other for some time since the last Passover and life is happening, but it's void of Jesus and an impending enemy that is about to come. 42 was you missed peace. And verse 43 that Jesus says is you missed your enemy. Don't miss that. He says, you're missing peace. That's me. And you're missing an enemy that's impending. See, as Jesus sees Jerusalem, God's people have no recognition of the one who came to set them free. And they are that, and that they are about to face an enemy that they are oblivious to. See, the grave tears were for others, and everybody understands those. We all understand them, and have experienced them. But it was the city tears were by himself. Nobody joined in on those. And those are the ones that get misunderstood because no one was weeping for Jerusalem. I believe criticism arises, death words rises when people only see the individual. Sometimes the, that they see is maybe just themselves and, and make decisions for themselves. I'm not upset when people complain, I'm not upset on, 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 you know, even comments on our social media. I, I'm not upset about all that because I realize that not only me, but leaders, pastors, church leaders are called to see, are called to see the multitudes as well as the individual. 
that I am called to see one, but I'm also called to see the multitudes, the Jerusalem. I have to see the single mom, but I also have to see the entire city. And I'm not a prophet. And there are times I feel like Amos, who is a shepherd who occasionally sees something from God. And what I see coming and where we're heading is as a church, these are for me, the Jerusalem tears. And, 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 and I believe that you can have the Jerusalem tears and usually what comes on the comments are the graveside, are the graveside comments. That's okay for me. But I've got to see that both of those tears are important to us to remember. The Jerusalem tears, uh, while, while what we've really of what we're facing and really what Jesus is saying is this, there is an enemy that's coming. That's what the Jerusalem tears is. You're, you're missing what I, that I'm here doing something and you're missing an enemy that's coming. This is the part that I believe that we have to hear, not only at Times Square Church, not only here in New York City for the pastors around the city, but even around the world. I believe this pandemic was not disruption, but I believe it was directional for our church and for the church. See, this pandemic was simply not an interruption, so you couldn't come to churches, churches Sunday services. But I believe, I believe that the pandemic, this is Jerusalem tears, was a preparation for the church's future. See, God has not given his church a disruption for 14 months, but I believe he has given them a moment to refocus, redirect, and even somewhat reform. This is so critical for us. Those congregations that are just wanting to open up their doors are going to miss a moment that God is trying to redirect, refocus, and reform, and we're missing that because we're simply wanting to turn the key. And those, those that are wanting to turn the key, may, those may be those grave tears and missing Jerusalem tears. Why do you think God's house was on lockdown for over a year? Why, why do you think God saw this coming? Why do you think? Because I believe God is teaching his church something. I think, I believe, Jerusalem tears now, that the church is going to be persecuted in this post-Christian culture that is forming before our eyes. That any place that preaches the uncompromising word of, word of God will have a label as hate speech. As we are preparing for this new season, Pastor Carter Conlin, our Times Square Church overseer, who leads our prayer meeting every Tuesday night from our from summit um, from our summit campus, from for for right there in the midst of the the auditorium with the students there, believes and he calls it casting the internet. What we're doing right now on the right side of the boat, we're taking hits from from those who have have a hard time seeing what's ahead. Because people want the church open, but they're not understanding that God wants us prepared. The goal is not simply to get open. The goal is preparation. One sees the individual, but God calls us to see the multitudes. I, I believe that in the next three to five years, the preaching of the gospel will be seen as hate speech, and there will be persecution for that. If you preach this Bible and call something sin, I believe this society is going to begin to bring consequences for those that would stand and proclaim the scriptures. I believe for everything from censored to removal from social media platforms, which you're already seeing from removal of 501c3s, fines, and then even possibly chains on the church door. And But God, God has given us a season of COVID to give his church a prelude to meeting without the doors open. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? This is practice before game time, before the enemy embankment that Jesus talks about in Jerusalem. He says, you have me, there's an enemy coming and you're missing it. And I wanna just tell you today, listen to me, church, around the world, you have him, you have Jesus. And though there's an enemy coming, we have him. And I want us to be ready for both. I want us to acknowledge the presence of Jesus even during this time. And whether the church doors are open or closed, he is still with us. But there is an enemy that is coming. That's what the season is from a kingdom standpoint, from the Jerusalem tears standpoint. God just gave his church of a glimpse of what is going to happen. I'm talking about to us. God is giving us a glimpse of what is going to happen and, and a fast approaching enemy that we're going to, that, that I want to make just a statement here that I want you to get. We are going to preach the Bible at Times Square Church. We are going to preach the word of God regardless of its consequences and regardless of man's threats. It cannot stop the church from moving forward. Even in Acts 4, when the church first started, it says that in Acts 4.18, when they had summoned them, the disciples, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And I love the first prayer of the early church. They said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant your bond servants that we may speak with boldness and confidence. They didn't say, God, let us, let us know how to do this undercover. They say, it doesn't matter. We know that you are with us. And, and I believe one of those key things that God is putting together, and I want you to hear this, in the next year at Times Square Church, you saw the, you, you, you saw the clip before the preaching today, we are believing for 1,000, 1,000 connect groups that are gonna be forming all over the world. Cindy and I just signed up uh, to lead a connect group right here in New York City. And today is the first day that you can sign up to lead, not join, but to lead a connect group that we believe all over the world, whether you're watching from Belgium, whether you're watching from the Ukraine, whether you're in Spain or Mexico, whether you're down in South America or Australia, wherever you're watching today, I want you to be challenged because we believe that God is doing something and getting us ready. That when people do attack in this season, I get it, I get it. It comes from the, the first set of tears. It comes from sorrow. I wanna meet, I haven't seen anybody. I get that, that doesn't bother us. They only weep with the person, but not the city. And this is where God calls for Jerusalem tears. It's a, it's a weeping that becomes larger. It's a weeping that makes the both of them complete. But how do we respond? And this is important because I wanna speak to us as a church, and even as an individual, how do we respond to words that try to bring us death? What do I do if there's a, this is going to be important because this is not just personal, but even for where we're at as a church or the church, what do I do if there's a verbal attack against me? One of my favorite preachers that I love to read his sermons is a man named Clarence McCartney. He was a powerful preacher in the early 1900s. His books have greatly influenced me. One of his book of sermons called The Greatest Words in, in the Bible and Human Speech is so powerful. He tells a story in one of his books that intrigued me is when transatlantic flights were first being introduced and Charles Lindbergh left right a few miles from us, Roosevelt Field in Long Island, New York, in his plane called The Spirit of St. Louis, flew 33 hours from Long Island all the way to Paris, France, and after that flight, many others began to attempt this amazing feat, but failed. 
Clarence McCartney, that great preacher, tells the story of one of those failures, but what an amazing lesson. He says it was a story of a man that took off for his transatlantic flight and just a few moments in the air, the pilot heard some sounds in the cockpit down at his feet. He heard, he heard chewing, he heard gnawing and looked down and somehow a rodent, a rat, got into the cockpit and was beginning to, to gnaw at the cables, at the coils in the plane and, and the wires. And he knew if he didn't do anything at that point, his instrument panel would go blank and he was gonna begin to perish in the cold waters off the Atlantic. What, what would you do in that moment? He knew he couldn't take his hands off the, off, off, off the, the steering the, the mechanism. He couldn't get down there. He couldn't reach it. He had no idea because he heard it behind the panel. And all of a sudden, an idea came to him. He decided, get this, he decided to take the plane up higher to an altitude where rodents couldn't live and couldn't breathe. Come on, some of you are getting this right now. That's what he did, throttle up to a higher altitude. That's what I wanna challenge you today. See, when you feel that someone or something is gnawing at you and causing trouble, I wanna challenge you today. Come on, take it up higher, throttle up. Take those rodents, those thoughts that are gnawing, that seem to be chewing away, that's about to bring a collision and bring something something cataclysmic to you. All of a sudden, the challenge is, do you try to go out and, and go after the rodent or do you throttle up and bring it up higher? That you take those thoughts, those words to a region where they can't survive they can't breathe. What we're saying is you take it to God. You take it to his throne. You take it to his word and you throttle up at that point. That's what you do when those begins to come. They can come from family, coworkers, um, a spouse, children, neighbors, the government. We throttle up. We don't go after rats. We don't go after the words. We throttle up to a place. And today, over these next few moments, I want us to go up higher. I want us to throttle up into altitudes that things can't live anymore. I, I was wondering this week if this is what I was supposed to speak and, and I knew God, God confirmed it on a couple of matters. Something happened to me that God was asking me to throttle up on and you'll see what I mean by throttling up in Psalm 38 in just a moment. I heard death words from, from blindsided death words from places that all of a sudden God goes, don't respond, take it up higher, take it up higher. Go to Psalm 38, go to Psalm 38. And no one knew personal attack better than David. It came from every level from him. His family, his boss, his children, his wife, his staff. He experienced it on every side of his life. So he is able to write these words. All of us at some time or the other has experienced this. Maybe not as vast as David. And the knee-jerk reaction when we feel the gnawing of the rats is to fight back, to get our good name back. But I wanna share with you a verse that has helped me to go up higher. And, and I learned it from David and it was reading it this week on how to respond to those kind of words. There, do you ever notice that when you're reading the Psalm, there is a short subscript at the beginning of each chapter that heads the Psalms, that chapter, where we get a glimpse of why that chapter was written. So it'll say chapter 38, and then something. But before verse one of chapter 38, the subscript of that chapter that we're gonna to read today says, the prayer of a sufferer. 
And I don't think anything causes more suffering, in my opinion, than those death words. The opposite of what Thomas Edison heard. The rats gnawing. And this, that is what David is suffering in this psalm. It's a verbal attack. And I want to read it to you in Psalm 38. This is what it says here. Stay with me now. And those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction. They devise treachery all day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear. And I'm like a mute man who doesn't open up his mouth. Yes, I'm like a man who doesn't hear and whose mouth are no arguments. For I hope in you, O Lord, that you will answer, O Lord, my God. Listen to it in, in, out of the message version. This is interesting. He says, old friends avoid me like the plague. My cousins never visit me. My neighbors stab me in the back. My competitors blacken my name. Devoutly, they pray for my ruin. But I'm going to be deaf. One version says deaf and dumb is what it says to it all. Ears shut, mouth shut. I don't hear a word they say, and I don't speak a word in response. What David says in this psalm is to go deaf and dumb when you're under verbal assault. That's my message. These two words found, those are the words that are used in the New American Standard. David goes, I become a deaf man and a dumb man at that point. What does David mean by those two words? What is deaf and dumb that he, he uses? What he was saying was this, that he won't listen, he won't respond, and God will fight his battles. Listen to that again. What does that mean? He won't listen, he won't respond, and God will fight those battles. That's what that means. See, he was saying this, when you go deaf and dumb to verbal assault, it means you trust God with this fight and you don't trust you with the fight. Let me say that again. What David was saying was when you trust, when you go deaf and dumb, Psalm 38, it means you trust God with the fight and you don't trust you with it. That's why this is so critical and so important because it takes great faith to believe that God will fight that battle while you are deaf and dumb. Great faith. See, everything in me wants to set the record straight. Everything in me wants to say something. See, because it's hard to be silent when we want to tell the real facts rather than let God speak for us. David said, I'm going to be deaf and dumb. I'll be like a deaf man and don't hear, and I'll be like a dumb man who doesn't open up his mouth. And then in verse 14, he reiterates it again. He says, I'm like a man who does not hear and whose mouth is no arguments. Why does David say this in Psalm 38? Here it comes. That's verse 15. Because you will answer, O Lord, my God. That's so powerful. He says, God answers for you. You don't answer for you. That sounds a little confusing. He says, God will answer for me. I can't answer for me at this point. See, there are times that God wants you to go deaf and dumb. And even when you think I have something to say, God goes deaf and dumb on this. Let me fight for you. Let me speak. Why is this, why is the hardest thing to do to let God do the talking for you? Simple, because he takes too long in our mind. He doesn't say it fast enough. See, Moses had this very same thing happen to him. Talk about being close and up and in and, and, and close proximity. When his sister and his brother accused him after his new marriage, and when you read it in, in this chapter in the book of Numbers that we're going to read in a second, Moses, Moses never said a thing. Talk about going Psalm 38 on the, on the attack, the verbal attacks 
of his own brother and sister, he just, he just said, I'm gonna do exactly what David tells me. Listen, listen to what it says. Because he leaves room for God to step in. Numbers 12, one through five, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. That's his brother and his sister because of the Cushite woman whom he had married for he married a Cushite. They were upset with who he married. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? He, has he not spoken through us as well, the Lord? They, they don't like what he's doing. They don't like the, 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 the steps that he's taking all the way to the point that they would criticize even his marriage. Verse three, this is a strong parenthesis, but don't, uh, we, we don't have time to go through this. It says, now, the man Moses was very humble more than any man was on the face of the earth. This is where I think deaf and dumb comes in. You have to have a humility for that. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, and okay, I, I just passed over this, but I do want to pause. Suddenly, the Lord said, not Moses. The Lord said, this isn't Moses speaking, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you three come out of the tent of me. You know you're in trouble. So the three of them came out and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, stood at the doorway of the tent, called Aaron and Moses. And when they had both come forward and you can read what God begins to step in and do. They're, they're talking to each other about Moses. You know, our Times Square Church friend that we get to hear on a monthly basis, Dr. R.T. Kendall, said this about people who speak ill of others, death words. If people gossip to you, they will also gossip about you. That's powerful. Always remember that. See, what he was saying was when people speak about people, they're revealing more about them than they are about the people they're talking about. And that's what's dangerous. So Aaron and Miriam speak, and immediately, this is one of those things that God didn't take too long here. God stops it immediately. Why? Death talk. From Proverbs 18, 21, life and death and son. Death talk is contagious for any topic. And on this point, they're, they're criticizing their, their leader. They're criticizing his marriage. They're cri criticizing the woman he just married, his leadership. God can speak to us, all, all those things. This is what's crazy. I was, I was reading the news headline this week and talk about how contagious words come. The, the headlines, you can see it for yourself. This week, it says creature, creature, unknown creature, mysterious creature is terrorizing Krakow, Poland. Terrorizing the streets, okay? They finally showed the picture of the creature. This is what it was. You ready for this, folks? This is where death talk can be contagious. It turns out to be a big croissant in the tree. That's bread. It was a loaf of bread in the tree, and people are infecting others with these death words. You should see the picture of this ugly croissant, and everyone was going. The whole town is, is being overrun by a crazy, mysterious creature. Can I just tell you what the answer was? It was a croissant in Krakow. That's what it was. That's, that's how contagious death talk can be. And God wouldn't let Miriam and Aaron speak those words. The people heard what Miriam and Aaron said, but so did God. And in that chapter, Moses doesn't speak to his brother. He does, Moses doesn't speak to his sister at all. He, nothing comes out. This is Psalm 38. You answer for me, God. 
He speaks once in that chapter. You hear his lips open up and it's a prayer to God. It's the only time Moses speaks. He pulled, he pulled that throttle up and took it to a higher altitude. He took the gnawing of his own sister and brother that were criticizing his leadership and said, throttle up, go to a higher altitude. Never responds to what Miriam Aaron said even about his own wife. He goes up to a higher place. He goes, Moses goes to the throne of God. In fact, this is what he prays. This is Numbers 12, 13. The only time in Numbers 12 that you see him open up his mouth. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, oh God, heal her, I pray. And he's talking about his sister, who is under God's judgment. Talk about a merciful prayer because that's what happens in higher heights. That's what happens in higher altitudes. You're not fighting rats. You're talking to God at that point. You're talking to him. Moses had experience of this accusation. He knew what to do. Remember when he was at the Red Sea in Exodus 14, while they're at the Red Sea, the people are accusing him. Why did you take us out of here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? We're gonna die here. And God told Moses at the beginning of his ministry in his very first test at the Red Sea as a leader, listen to the words, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. Here it comes, while you keep silent. I, I need to remember that because there are moments that I want to set the registry that, that my, and I forget that my greatest defense against death words accusation is not setting the record straight, but keeping silent and trusting God to tell the facts. I don't have to blog. Listen to me. I don't have to blog, tweet, Snapchat, post, whatever. God defends us. God will defend you. Take it up to a higher altitude. Don't fight rats. Go up higher. Here has always been, let me be practical, my personal rule on personal attack. If it's true, apologize. Own it. Don't explain it. Just apologize. And if it's not true, be be quiet, be silent. God's got you. God will answer for you. If it's true, apologize. If it's not true, choose to be deaf and dumb. And here's what I've learned all my life. You ready? The more you pray, the less you'll say. The more you pray, it's funny, the less you say, because you're letting God do your talking to others for you. When I need to keep my mouth shut, I pray more. How does that work? I'll tell you how it works. When I'm frustrated with people or a situation, I tell God what I want to say to people, and I put it right in there. Because those who say too much, I've realized, I usually find, have not talked with God very much. Those who say too much, usually haven't talked with God very much. Because when you're in the presence of God, God will have you be silent more than talking. Because the more you pray, the less you will say. God will keep your words to a minimum. And I don't think there's any better place to see it than at Jesus and on the cross. In fact, Peter marks that moment that when verbal attack was coming, this is what it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 23, It says this, when he was verbally abused, this is Jesus on the cross, he didn't return with an insult. When he suffered, he wouldn't threaten retaliation. Jesus faithfully, this is it, folks. This is is going to a higher altitude. This is Jesus throttling up, going, I go to my father. He entrusted himself into the hands of God who judges righteously. That's it in a nutshell. That's the example, extreme example before us. See, always remember, if something is true, just apologize. Just, just say, I, 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 that was me. If it's not true, silent. Go to higher altitudes. But here's how I want to close today. I want you to listen. I want to take 
a larger view with all this today. Some of you still owe a big apology, a huge apology. See, you can't have a relationship with someone when there's an elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. You can't have depth of relationship. The person in that room is God. And the elephant, the issue, is sin. And I want to say something to you. You can't go to heaven without that apology. Or another way to say it, you can't go to heaven without asking for forgiveness. Nothing bothers me more than to try to be home, at home, with my wife Cindy, and there's something that we needed to address and I need to apologize for. It doesn't work. You can keep going through all the actions and the elephant in the room still needs to be addressed. Something needs to be apologized for. Something needs to be spoken to. And I'm just telling you, you can keep coming online. You can, when the door's open, you can keep coming to God's house, but it doesn't fix the problem. You can have taken communion with us. But if, if you haven't started with asking God for forgiveness, that's the big apology, the largest apology that could ever happen. See, the problem is sin and sin has to be forgiven. It's you asking for forgiveness. It's your apology. That's where a relationship with God starts. It's called being born again. The sin issue has to be addressed. You can't go to heaven without that apology, without asking God to forgive you. This is, this is how we are born again. We ask God to forgive us our sins. See, when you ask God to forgive you, when you ask God to come in and change, when you ask God to be Lord of your life, you become born again. Those are the greatest, I, I, I want to speak to you, the greatest life words, not just life here, but eternal life words. I want to pause a second because there are people that even will become critical of this. They're going, why, why do you end every single week with this born again thing? Because it's life. These are life words. It's eternal life. And those that would begin to even go like, why do we end this way? Throttle up. We're going to continue to end this way. We want people to be transformed from life to death. Why are you doing that, Pastor Tim? I want to hear this. Let me tell you why. Because I can't just weep over one person. We weep over the multitudes. It's Jerusalem tears. So here it is. How can I be born again? How, how, can, how does that apology start? How do I get to heaven? Some, some say, well, I was water baptized. I took communion with you today. Um, I, I'm part of a connect group. I'm going to church. I'm a good person. All these things are good, but that's not what Jesus said. That's not what he said. There's an elephant in the room. Sin has to be forgiven. Being a sinner has to be acknowledged. And born again, the greatest life words that anyone can ever tell you today is literally the question on the floor. Jesus said in John 3, verse 3, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. In fact, Jesus then says right after that in John 3, 5, you must be born again. Why would we turn that into an option? If Jesus is challenging everyone that's hearing this, whether you're hearing this on Sunday or Monday, whether you're hearing it live or someone sent you a link to this, this is the moment that I believe the greatest life words, the eternal life words are coming your way. Well then, Pastor Tim, tell me, what does it mean to be born again? What Jesus was saying to us was this. What does it mean? It means this. Just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Okay, Pastor Tim, how does that happen? It's as simple as ABC. ABC. We're about to throttle up now. Here we go. A, 
admitting that I'm a sinner. It's when I get honest with God that I have a condition. We all have a condition. The planet has a condition called sin. It can't be fixed with a promise, a program, a priest, a pastor. We need help to fix what's broken on the inside. I'm broken, the diagnosis is sin, and I have to admit it. Or as one pastor said, we're not mistakers in need of correction, we're sinners in need of a savior. I don't need a second chance, I need a second birth. Okay, Pastor Tim, what's the B word? That's believe. Believe that God sent his son to fix our sinful condition because I couldn't fix myself. See, if we could fix ourselves, then why would God have sent his son 2,000 years ago to go through the suffering that he went through on the cross? If I could get myself to heaven by being good, then Jesus would never have to come and die on the cross. But Jesus dying on the cross was him becoming my substitute. He was dying in my place. Really, what, what, what I'm saying is this. He died the death I was supposed to die. Lived the life I had no chance of living and gave me a reward of forgiveness in heaven I didn't even deserve. And then finally, it's the C word. It's confess. Confess Jesus as Lord. That's a huge word. It comes from Romans 10, 9, and 10 that attaches the word Lord to being born again because you don't just get forgiveness. You don't just get eternal life, but you get a guide. You get a Lord that now begins to not just once Sundays, but once every single day. See, religion says go to church. A relationship says, I want you every single day. Jesus didn't die on the cross to get us to sit in a seat on a Sunday or watch church on a screen for just a, an hour, hour and 15 minutes every week. His goal wasn't to get us simply in church. His goal was to get us to heaven. And this is where the change comes. That's why Christianity is not coming to a person, but to a place. And that, and, 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 and Christianity is coming to a person, not a place. Because person means he is in charge. Lord means he is in charge. The Lord means you are the boss now. And today, the greatest life words, the greatest life words are happening right now. Some of you are feeling it in your heart and soul. This is where it starts. Thomas Edison's mom got him to become the greatest inventor. Those were great life words. But today, this is where it all changes for you. This is where life changes, not just here, but forever. And if you're here listening to these words right now, these life words right now, you may have people in your ear and chatter coming that don't do that, don't, don't commit to that. God doesn't, God's not real. God doesn't exist. Throttle up, go up higher. Don't, don't, don't listen to death words. Go up higher and listen to the Holy Spirit that's speaking to your soul right now. This is the day. This is the day of salvation. That's what, that's what it says in the New Testament. Today is the day of salvation. This is your day. This is the day. God is real. God does love you. He can forgive you of everything that you've done. And today it could start. Today could be your second birth, born again date. And if you're listening to these words right now and say, Pastor Tim, what do I do? I want you to pray a prayer with me that just starts a journey. This, does, this is not the only part. The journey just starts today. And if wherever you're at, if you're listening in a car, on a phone, in a gym, in a house, I want you to pray these words with me. Maybe you're going to pray it as a family. Maybe you're going to pray it as a couple. Maybe it's a father and son praying it together. Maybe it's a, a grandfather that you're listening. Maybe you're a student listening in your dorm on a pair of 
headphones that nobody else can hear what's happening. I want you to speak these words out, these words of life. Come on, I want you to pray this with me and start a brand new journey of being born again today. Come on, pray this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, come on, say it out loud. I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, say it now. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.